everybody, this is Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And this is The Evangelicals. So today we're we're talking we're having a conversation today about the truth. What is the truth? Can you handle the truth? <laughs> I we'll see. So so we're, I want to talk about the truth simply because of a lot of things going on in the world these days, especially in our sources of news. So we've got the Me Too movement going on. We've got uh Bill Hybels, a prominent evangelical leader really going through the ringer as far as people coming out people finding out finding out that he really hasn't been a man of integrity hasn't been telling the truth we've got polarized media um news outlets whether you're a liberal or conservative telling very opposite narratives of the same stories so i want to talk a little bit today about what the truth is and what the bible says about the truth probably the most popular place everybody goes in the scripture to talk about lying or telling the truth is to the ninth commandment, which everybody quotes as saying, when you ask somebody, what's the ninth commandment? They would say, oh, it's do not lie, which is actually not what the ninth commandment is. Sure. Yeah. I think it really gets into this, has this beginning part of it being in a court of law. I think that it really lends itself to saying, hey, when you're on the stand either trying to prosecute or trying to speak about what somebody has done to you, truth has to win the day. And, 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 and when you conjure up a story that isn't based on truth, you're bringing that other person into a narrative that, that is bringing them down and making them less than maybe what God created them to be, rather than the understanding of, I have to view that person and view their life as as image bearers of God, and I don't want to do anything that would make them or bring them down to serve my own needs, my own good. I have to have this understanding of who they are as a person. What's the actual verbiage of the of the ninth commandment? So the, the, the ninth commandment says, um, "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Right, and the and the Sunday school version of that is the "Do not lie." The "Do not lie," and I think it 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 can bleed over into that. I think we as Christians and as, as evangelicals would say, we don't compartmentalize our life, that I I tell the, I, I don't do something here, but it's okay to do it in this aspect. But as holiness people, as, as understanding that we think that Jesus transforms our whole life and not just a specific part of it, that it starts on a court stand, maybe a good place, but it has to also spill out into how I live and talk and breathe every second of every day. And so, yeah, I, I would say the do not lie is is kind of a shorter version than probably the easier for kids, you know, to bear false witness, trying to explain that yeah. to a three-year-old. I mean, you know, what what would you get at? And so it's easier just to say, hey, we shouldn't lie about people or we shouldn't lie. And especially as a three-year-old, you know, who whose main responsibility is to do what their parents say. The do not lie is a good thing for parents to really harp on because we can really hold that over our children's head if we need to. I think that for me, one of the first times I ever really considered – the fact that this commandment was not do not lie, it was do not bear false witness, was when I encountered Dietrich Bonhoeffer's ethics. When he was wrestling in uh, Nazi Germany with Christian integrity, with how do I hide Jews? How do I be subversive to the government? He even eventually reasoned his way into being a part of a plot to assassinate the emperor, to kill Adolf Hitler, and 
was was very much concerned with maintaining Christian integrity. That was something very important to him. Yeah, so I think what I would would say is, I think in our culture, truth is a very loose thing these days. And I would say it's slipping into and starting to infiltrate the church on some level that as long as I can create what I think is happening in my own narrative, then I just run with it, even if it isn't based on truth. And what I always tell people is, yes, Bonhoeffer had these ideas and these thoughts, but he at least struggled with it. And I think sometimes in our culture, the thought of bearing false witness, like we don't even think about it. If it allows me to get ahead, it's not even a struggle as to whether I should do this or not. And Bonhoeffer just didn't jump right in, but he really wrestled with it in his faith about how do I be a person of integrity. And like I said, I think in our culture, in our media, and unfortunately, sometimes in the church, we don't even, it doesn't even enter our mind as to what would be the right thing and how do I understand what's really happening in this situation and how would Jesus potentially respond. Um, and so, yeah, ethically, uh, we, we, we tend to just throw that aside, I guess. And we just, whatever is going to, whatever's going to benefit me, then that's what I'm going to do. Even if it isn't based on truth, if it isn't based on uh, a sound understanding of what's actually going on, if it's going to benefit me and get me ahead or get me more money or get me the boat that I want, um, I'm going to do it. And so we have to come to this understanding of just understanding and realizing that integrity and ethics is is huge. Well, so you bring up Jesus. And in Jesus's commentary on the Ten Commandments, his sermon on the Mount, his take on Moses's law, uh, he talks about Christian integrity by boiling it down to this phrase, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. And I think what I'm what I'm perceiving to be the case in the church right now is that we are a people who are very unsure of what our convictions are. Mm. We don't know what we want to commit the yes to being, and we don't know what we want to commit our nose to being. This is partly what has caused the evangelical, uh, uh, I guess, voting group to be such a uh, debatable and divisive comment or uh, conversation, because you have you have people who are Christians who are who kind of have the idea in their mind of the moral majority of the '80s that hey, you guys, we've all yeah. we've got to have the same. We have to vote the same platform. We got to have the same thing. So that's how we have integrity is by. Being loyal to each other. Sure. That's what truth looks like. Looks like That's what integrity looks like, is all of us coming together and voting the same way and being, being in, in New Testament language of one heart and one mind. Sure. That's what truth has to look like, okay? On the one hand, this idea. And then you have other people saying, well, hold on. Going along with the mob mindset is making me compromise on things that are higher virtues to me. Sure. Agreeing with everybody has never been a high virtue for me, but morality has been a high virtue for me. Integrity has been a high virtue for me. Purity has been a high virtue for me. Uh, faithfulness, fidelity have been high virtues for me. Looking after the poor and the orphan and the widow are high virtues for me. The immigrant, the foreigner, the alien, which it talks about all through scripture it's a high priority because it, it it comes up again and again and again, and so there's um, 
there's some political persuasions that that's a big deal. And it, and it may not be in that same political understanding of what an evangelical should vote for or what they should think as important. And to me, it's all life issues. It's all pro-life issues. And, and, and how do we, as a different way, a third way, as an, an understanding that word evangelical differently as good news for all people, not just for a certain political ideology or agenda, but it's good news for literally all people. How do we live into that understanding? And it, it becomes the sticky uh, because you, you, you get labeled and you get classified and you get put in pigeonholes about your faith, about what you really think is important and maybe your uh, understanding of truth or what Jesus would be excited about isn't true because it doesn't line up with what I think it should be. And for those of you out there who may not be so familiar with what Jeremy and I think about a lot of things, we differ in a lot of our opinions maybe, but one things that we one of the things we really agree about is what we hope in our lifetime to see a third way. Yeah. Because the polemicized left and right is just not working. And neither groups are telling the truth. Everybody's so much more concerned with being loyal to my side, right. to my people, than to actually following after Jesus. Which is interesting. It's really interesting that Jesus says, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, must hate father and mother. Right. right. Jesus says the most fundamental loyalties that you have in your life, if you're going to follow me, they need to take second place. Yep. Which is brutal to say the least. Sure. I'm, I'm, I mean, really, what Jesus, at least as far as we have it through the Gospels, what Jesus was calling for in discipleship, in loyal following of him— was really a disloyalty to a lot of the other worldly systems that we all fall very comfort comfortably into. It was definitely even against the church, what we would call the church of the time, like the Pharisees, right? They were the the good church people and the the holders of the law, and 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 they literally told the people, "Well, this is what it means, and you got to take it to this level, and you got to do this." and and Jesus was butting up against them the whole time. And so even loyalty to church can be a, a thing that, that we, if a church or an organization were to do something that we disagreed with, sometimes we loyally um, hold to them and support them rather than calling out maybe um, those things that, which need to be called out. And, and, and so I think sometimes, like I said, in his day, Pharisees, the church people, the pastors, the whatever, he he was constantly pushing against them. And ultimately they're the ones who who um who led him to uh to be crucified. Right. So we've been talking a lot about the truth. Uh really haven't defined the truth. Which I don't know that I don't know that we're gonna define the truth today. And and I'm okay with that. But I, I do want to have a conversation about what it means to be a Christian, evangelical, good news-bearing, Christ-following person in this age where the truth is so subjective and stories are so subjective. And so I want to talk about a couple of episodes that are going on in our society right now. Sure. And I want to hear your take on them. I'll probably give you my two cents. I want to hear your take too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So let's... uh, One of the things that I want to talk about is the Urban Meyer scandal, story, whatever you want to call it, at Ohio State. The reason we're talking about this is 
a lot of the people that we're in conversation with in the Midwest are talking about this story because sure. college football is pretty important to them, you know. Sure. So Urban Meyer, the story is the story as I understand it, and as ESPN is reporting it, is uh, several years ago one of his staff members was accused of abusing his wife. The wife texted Urban's wife, okay. But there was no confirmation of whether or not Urban knew about that. It would kind of seem odd that he wouldn't know about it. Sure. Well, there's been a recent investigation that has come up about this situation. But a couple of weeks ago at Big Ten Media Days, when asked about it, just face-to-face, Urban, Urban said, oh, I didn't know about those. I didn't know about these allegations that a guy who was an assistant coach for me was possibly abusing his wife. Right. Then had to come out a couple weeks later and say, hey, I was caught off guard at media days. I lied. But, but I did everything that I was supposed to back in 2015. Sure. And I have integrity and, you know. So right. that's, that's the story we have it. So there are a lot of different people. There are a lot of different people talking about this story from different angles. Right. Um, but, it, but it brings up, it brings up a couple important things for our conversation. Kind of an example it's it's a good example to talk about. The reason I want to talk about it is I want to I want to ask this question. What is a person responsible for when it comes to when it comes to telling the truth for other people? This really goes back to the conversation of the ninth commandment. And even though it wasn't a courtroom, sure. We're we're kind I of do asking think it has a legal aspect though to it. No, you're right. Because I think it was laid out in his contract that he was a a reporter of such things. Yes. And and so I think that it does have some legal aspect to it. And and yeah, I mean, I have to tread lightly because I'm not an Ohio State fan and I'm in You're not of, an Ohio State fan. You're actually an Alabama fan living <laughs> in Ohio, doing ministry to good buckeyes. That's right. And they're all good people. And <laughs> I think what the hardest thing for me, um, as I look at this as as an outsider, obviously I you know, I, I I don't want bad for Urban. Like, I, I think he's a great coach, and I think it would be tragic. I think if it comes back that he didn't, it's his own fault that that, that he if, didn't if he didn't report when okay. he was supposed to report. Okay, um, sorry, and and so I think that he would have to live with the consequences of his own decisions back in 2015 or whenever this was. But I think looking from the outside in, something that that I hope I hope I would do and. But just some of the fans I've talked to have this loyalty to Urban Meyer, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. And so I think that looking in the outside in, what I would hope we would do as followers of Jesus is to say, well, if he didn't do what he was supposed to do, then yeah, he should suffer the consequences of what he did. If he didn't live up to his responsibility as the coach of one of the biggest college football programs in, in the country, then then I'm not going to somehow bend the rules down so that Urban still gets to be my coach. Um, but as a person who says, no, that we we are here for all people, that lady matters. And if he could have done something to prevent, if he could have done something to interject, if he knew something was happening and chose to turn a blind eye to it, then I would hope that all of us would look in the mirror and say, well, yeah, that's that that would be a consequence of what it is. But like I said, I think we have this loyalty thing, like I said, that you brought up earlier, that we the people we're loyal to, the bar gets a little bit lower as to how they we think they should live or what they think they should have to yeah. do. 
so that they can continue to do what it is they're doing. Okay, so I am a Buckeye fan. Yep. As a kid, Eddie George was my hero. You know, I've been a Buckeye fan for a long time. Not that that means anything necessarily, except for when you bring up the thing about loyalty, the question about loyalty. I mean, my gut is, oh, Urban Meyer's been a great coach, brought us a lot of victories. I'd hate to see him go as a coach of the Buckeyes, right? So I'm I'm asking the question as a Christian and as a pastor, as someone leading people, what are the questions that I ought that I ought to be asking and what are the things that I ought to be standing for as I'm having conversations with people about this? One of the things that is really interesting to me is the responsibility of the media. So I think that these this is a situation in my personal opinion where the media is running with a story that they don't have all of the facts about. And one of the interesting things about the conversations I'm seeing is people are very, very comfortable without all of the facts being the judge, jury, and executioner of Urban Meyer, of the Ohio State University, of this woman. I mean, there are people saying, you know, terrible things about this woman, that she's a liar, that that she's even worse things than that. There are people saying terrible things about this guy, um, that he's, you know, the wife abuser, that he's just a, a low-life guy. I'm not saying that any of these things are true or false. I'm just saying everybody has an opinion about all of the people in this story, but what no one has is a complete story. Sure. No one has the no one has the truth. And I think depending on which side of the situation or circumstance you would side with, you either look at Urban and say he's great, or you look at the woman and then it that point you look at the woman and say well she's not telling the truth or the flip side yeah you look at and say well how could urban meyer and we got to support this woman and 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 you're right and i was actually talking to my mom on the way down here and we were talking about which is it. good all you young men call your mom <laughs> she, she wants to talk to you so i was talking to her and i said they'll figure it out I really believe that that they're going to do an investigation and the truth will will come out and and i think that Whatever they find, they'll probably take a, a course of action, and some people will agree with it, and some people will disagree with it, and and unfortunately, that's just kind of I think where it is. But you know, and I just kept saying, who knows what actually happened? Who knows what he knew? Who knows what happened? I was like, but I I believe that they will they'll figure it out, and and then we just have to live with with what the the university decides. We have to live with what you know who, you know it'll come out. Who knew? Did the AD know? Did this coach know? Did right. the president of the university know? Right. And then they will have to decide um, what ramifications will will come from that. So for me, as a as a loyal Buckeye fan, I really have been trying to step back and say how much of my opinions are just because I want to see Ohio State beat Alabama. This sure, year, yeah, yeah, you know, of course. So, but I think I think one of the things that has come up in me is a frustration about the press. The idea, this this Ninth Commandment idea of making an accusation against one's neighbor. Sure. Um, regardless of what happens, Urban Meyer as an individual, as a guy, just as a guy, his image is tainted. Sure. But the fact of the matter is, whoever, uh, Brett, Brett McMurphy, I think is the guy's name who wrote the story. Yeah, yeah. He's got a million dollar story. Yeah. He's got a secure job now for life. Sure. You know? And the fact of the matter is, Brent McMurphy is not nearly as interesting as Urban Meyer. Let's say Brent McMurphy is a wife abuser. Let's say that he's been um, money laundering. Let's say he's doing – well, 
Nobody's going to write a story about Brett McMurphy because he's just not interesting. He's yeah, a course. journalist. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But, but Brett McMurphy has absolutely nothing to lose in tarnishing Urban Meyer's legacy. He actually has everything to gain. He has everything to gain by tarnishing someone else's legacy or integrity. And this is, a, this is the place we are in society, Jeremy. This is the place that we are. That we don't wait until we get the truth to tell the story. We tell a story. Sure. And then we try to figure out whether or not it's true. And we live, we live kind of in the, uh, oh, I guess the shrapnel field in the carnage of these stories that we're telling. That we don't even know the truth behind them, but we know that they're going to be profitable. We know they're going to get clicks. We know that they're going to get me the next step in my career as a journalist. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more suspicious of the things I read just because of this realization. I mean, this is part of growing up. You realize the things that not everything that is said from people that you saw as trusted authorities might actually be the truth. Right. Am I crazy? What, what are you, I mean, what are you thinking as you, yeah, you're a Buckeye fan. Of course you're crazy. <laughs> but I think that um No, I, I think that our culture loves to hold people on a pedestal. I think our culture loves to elevate people to positions of and and it's almost like we think there are like if if I were to call Urban, like he would love to have coffee with me or you know, like we're No, we're, he wouldn't. You're an Alabama. Well, fan. I mean just okay, next whatever, whomever. <laughs> Um, the president or, you know, whatever that they yeah, would he probably would have liked to have gone with you. But they would um somehow like we, we we see so much from them, we hear so much from them, we feel like we know them. And all we really hear is football talk. All we really hear is what's happening with the football team. But I had I really have no clue beyond beyond that who Urban Meyer even yeah, really is. Yeah, right. And and so but because he's a great coach, and I'll just, you know, I, I've, so I've tried to step back and say, if all this stuff came out about Nick Saban, what would my response be? Mm-hmm. Like, where would I be living and, and, and thinking? Mm-hmm. And, and like, and, and so it's been a, a, even a reflection for me, because once again, you know, I hope Nick Saban stays around forever. And, and, you know, but if something were like this to come out, what would my response be? Would it be, yeah, man, that, that sucks. And, um, and we, we, he's going to have to just be who he is. And, and, you know, if he gets in trouble, then we may not be as good as we are right now, but we're just going to live with it and, uh, and keep rolling. So I don't know. I, I, so I, I, think, I think that, once again, it just seems like the loyalty thing. Where's, where's your loyalty? Is it to the, the woman and, once again, the Me Too movement, kind of what you want to, I think, jump into? Or is it to um, a football coach? And, and depending on where it is, I think is where your perspective will come from. So another example of the intersection of the truth and Christian integrity that's going on in Christian that's going on in culture right now is definitely the Me Too movement, which I am a huge fan of. Yeah, long overdue. I think it's something that that potentially should have happened many years ago. Yeah, years ago. But I think that unfortunately the culture at the time didn't lend itself to women being feeling bold enough or brave enough to tell their story because of how we were set up uh, once again, ideologically and, and, and mentally to to hear those stories. And so it, it just took a while. And uh, I'm just thankful that finally it is, uh, it's happening. 
One of the most painful comments that I've, or one of the most painful questions I've been asked in the last couple of months was from an older uh, evangelical <laughs> gentleman, uh, in quotes, and uh, who who asked me, "Hey, do you feel like do you feel like women today just kind of have too much of a voice?" I'm like, and and the question that I'm asking is, um, is there a reason they shouldn't have a voice? Are you also one of these people that's suppressing women that's afraid there's going to be a story about you? I mean, it. Uh, just just to talk about this this movement, I I just I just want to say I, uh, with all of the baggage that comes with it, sure. the the good thing is that people in power, particularly men in power, who have been able to suppress people without even thinking twice about it, are actually starting to have to ask the question: uh, Is this worth it? Sure. Um, the the whole movement is making is making people self aware, which is wonderful. Yeah, and I think uh, you know to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who obviously was speaking about something entirely different, but I think it relates to this. It says the moral arc of the universe um, always bends towards justice, and and I think in this this instance and with this movement, it's a justice movement that we've been needing for quite some time. Yes, and and so I think that as we live into it, it's it's a it's it's not an easy issue to talk about. It's not something that that we are comfortable, I don't think, yet talking about because I think there's still just a lot of question about who's guilty, who who's the next, and and it and it kind of breeds, unfortunately, some a cynical no, uh, that's right aspect because people are like, well, you know, there's no end in sight, like and 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 who. Who's next on the chopping block? And and so I think rather than being cynical about it, I think that once again, if our bent is to be towards justice and, and truth, once again, I think that we have to say, no, if these women have suffered at the hands of men or um and, and, and people in power, then then their story needs to be told for sure. So I wanna I wanna bring up two stories okay. that I've interacted with that I've been thinking about during this Me Too movement. One of them I was reading about back in January. It was the story of the reporter who went undercover to the fundraiser in England. Do you know this story? No, I don't know at all. So this reporter, uh, Madison Marriage is her name. She is a reporter for the Financial Times. I think that's a publication in England. She went undercover as a hostess, as a waitress, at a men-only charity event that had been going on for for decades. It's a very popular, high-end white collar exclusive charity event well apparently at this charity event it's just kind of understood that men, that the men attending grope the servers try to take advantage of them treat them very inappropriately and everything that the understanding has been uh, for the last however long this event has gone on that what happens in the room stays in the room sure. well madison had been hearing about this and so she went undercover subjected herself to this treatment to tell the story, which I think is, I think is fantastic. I think, I think until somebody, I think that, I think that that's a lot of the, when you talk about great journalism throughout the history of the world, a lot of the great journalists have been the people that have decided, made a conscious decision to go subject themselves to a particular situation in order to be able to tell the story well. And so she exposed, she exposed this story. uh, It was called the president's club charitable trust. She, she exposed, exposed this story. It was at the, held at the Dorchester hotel. She, and what happened was 
the people who were going to be receiving the money from the charity, they essentially ended up rejecting it because they didn't want to be associated with it. So there's this money that had been raised for this event that nobody wants to accept Yeah. because if they accept it, they're tied to this, uh, this fundraiser. And so, um, the fundraiser is now it's, it's off. It's never going to be held ever again. And all of the men who had been associated with it, they're going to, they're having to deal with the fallout of her telling the story. Now, f- to me, that's an example of the Me Too movement that's that's just awesome. Madison is not frowned upon in uh, the journalist society or in, in media coverage as someone who um, is a tattletale, but she's really a hero. She's lifted up because our culture at this point is prioritizing the Me Too movement. It's a positive thing, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and I think what's so interesting about the Bible, just to bring that back in, is if we look at... I was just thinking about it as you were telling this story. Um, in the Old Testament, a, a man could divorce his wife, but the opposite could not happen. Yeah. And and I think what Jesus ends up doing is actually elevating the position of the woman. Yes. And 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 saying no, these women. So so like the um, the woman caught in the act of adultery, mm-hmm. where they bring her out, which makes you think, how did they? What, where were these Pharisees looking? And what? And window? where's the man? And where's the man? Where's the exactly man? right. And, and 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 even in his talk in Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about adultery, he's talking to men. He's not talking to women. That if you lust after a woman, it's like you're committing adultery yeah. Yeah. in your heart. Right. And 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 so Jesus took something from the Old Testament and said, "You guys have totally misunderstood." What, what Moses was trying to tell the people of God, it was not that women are less and men can do whatever they want. It was the understanding of elevating the position of women and this understanding of divorce. And you can't just divorce your wife for whatever reason you want to. And in fact, men, if you are lusting after a woman in your heart, you're actually committing adultery in your heart. And so even in Scripture, we see this understanding of, of people would take Old Testament law to demean women, and Jesus says, no, 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 we actually need to elevate them on some level. And, and and so I feel like in the church, we should be that also. And 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 once again, if it is good news for everybody, I think that includes women. And I am very thankful for our tribe, our tradition, our denomination, whatever words you want to use, because we, from the beginning, have always viewed women as, as being able to be ordained and be pastors. And and that doesn't happen in all uh, other, you know, denominations. Nothing against them, but I'm just saying that's something that I really love about the heritage and, and reclaiming Nazarendom is we've never said men can do certain things and women can't. It's always been, no, 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 God calls all people, whether you're a man or a woman, to be whatever God is calling you to be. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't the topic of the day, but since we're going down this path, I, I remember when the Me Too movement was coming out, I don't know if you saw that article um, put out that teaching by John Piper, who who was who talked about, uh, he was asked the field he was fielded the question: If you don't believe that men, women should be in ministry, should women have a voice in seminary? Yes, I did see that, and he said no. Yeah, he said no, and I remember talking to one of my friends and saying, "Isn't this amazing that the Old Testament says in the last days God says I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, and they are going to prophesy, they're going to be truth tellers, and here in society we have secular journalists." who are being heroic, who are telling the truth, who are exposing injustice. And in the church, we have powerful men that are saying, no, 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 no. God's not able to pour out his spirit on a woman in a way that she can teach a man. Yep. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, totally unbelievable. It's, And and I think going to this whole um, idolization, uh, that wasn't the word we used, but loyalty that 
that we can have people in politics who who have treated women or who have and I'm just talking about the president. I think it goes all the way down who have done sure, things sure, sure. who that we would say we totally disagree with, but all of a sudden it becomes okay. And that if a pastor were to have that understanding um, or, or that history, I think it, we would look at it totally different, which I think is a travesty on some level because either it's the truth and it's the gospel or it isn't. Yeah. So, okay, going back to, going back to Me Too movement, going Sorry. back to telling the truth. Yeah. I think that was a great aside. But so there's another another story that I encountered, um, a more personal one. Went to a Christian college, Olivet Nazarene University, and uh, just last year, as the Me Too movement is getting really popular, the, the the moment where everybody was telling their stories online on social media and then hashtagging Me Too, and the hashtag Me Too was very very popular. There was a girl that I went to college with, a very popular girl, who went on Facebook and told a story about the person that she dated for a long time in college, which, as you would probably assume, all of my Facebook friends and I knew who she was talking about because there was only one guy that she dated for this long time in college. Sure. Right? And so she she goes on to talk about how, against her will, uh, she did more than she wanted to sexually in this relationship and that this man this man had taken advantage of her. Hashtag me too. Which immediately, um, and I'm not, I wasn't very, very close with either of them. I'm aware of who the two individuals were, but I wasn't really, really close with either of them. Don't have a loyalty to either one of them. Something just struck a chord in me, a really minor, diminished, nasty chord in me. Where I'm thinking to myself, now hold on a second. There are real people in the world that are facing, that, that are being subjected to real rape, to real molestation. And you are telling a story about a consensual relationship to ev- that at least that everyone perceived, but then, you know, seven, eight years later, you're telling a different story for what? Regret. Wish I could go back and not do that. So therefore, it's it makes me feel better, maybe about bad decisions that I've made. If I can throw it off on this other person rather than having to personally deal with failure, or once again, I think regret is a good word. I don't know. Maybe that's that's a. I'm not saying it's a right thing, but I feel like, and I would think that stories like that where there wasn't this this abuse or. I think it actually demeans the stories that are real and legit and, and and it brings down, it muddies the water of, and I think that's one reason we're having such a hard time in society dealing with this is we do have stories of consensual relationships, but then we have some real stories. And when you try to put the two together, it muddies the water and people get cynical and they say, well, everybody's going to come out and say something happened to them X, Y, and Z many years ago. And, and, it, and it creates a unfair thing for the people who actually are suffering or who have suffered when people come out and, and try to rationalize something that happened to them or decisions that they made yonder years ago. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think, that, I think that's exactly the rub is that, is that there are people now who are taking advantage of right. a movement of justice, a movement of truth, 
that are taking advantage of it and they're that are profiting off of it. Sure. Which, as I would kind of, because what was rubbing me wrong about the Urban Meyer story is I feel like there was probably some money dealt out, dealt out sure. for the sharing of information. And I'm sure that Brent McMurphy made a pretty penny sure. by having that cover story on ESPN. I mean, who knows how many millions of clicks. Right. Were on, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if ESPN sent something out to all their constituents, their advertisers. Hey, we've got the top story of the summer. If you want... You know, front page access on this day. Here's how much it's going to cost you. Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I've heard, uh, listen to podcasts and sports people who have worked at ESPN and other places, and they've a lot of times get tired of talking about these stories and they've pitched other stories. And the company come back, comes back and says, Nope, Urban's it, man. He's the hot ticket. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And because I think sometimes they get tired and want to talk about sports and not about some of these other issues. But um, sometimes they get overridden because. Once again, it's the hot take. It's what everybody's going to want to be hearing about. It's it's the the money maker, and so that's what we're running. That's the story we're going with. So all this Me Too talk, um, unfortunately, has bled into the church with with allegations against a prominent evangelical pastor, one of the, the largest churches yeah. in our country, Bill Hybels, and. And I hate to talk about this, but I feel like, once again, if we're about truth, we have to to look at ourselves sometimes. Well, and yeah. I think the unfortunate thing about the church is sometimes we we want to protect it and hold it in this nice, 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 neat little box, and we fail to really be critical of ourselves and are we being who God, once again, is calling us to be. So the Hybel story broke, uh, I don't know, about six months ago or so, and the stories were... Uh, just as the Me Too movement was kind of reaching its height, there were women who were coming out and saying, you know, Bill Hybels has not treated women with dignity. And here are some examples. He invited me to a hotel room. He did this. He did this. Well, then last week, the New York Times published kind of the ultimate cover story of a woman who had been Bill Hybels' administrative assistant during some of the early years of the thriving, growing uh, kind of explosion of Willow Creek. This woman had been through a recent divorce. Hybels hires her. She moves into his house with his wife and I think kids at the time and said that there were several situations in which he would take her out to dinner or he would give her a massage or do things that were inappropriate really undermining the integrity of this guy completely. And he uh, has no connection to the church anymore. I've heard that they're blowing up, like that the board's resigned and that the pastor, the, the next pastor has resigned. And the Willow Creek Summit was just, the Leadership Summit was just hosted this last week and they were talking about how they're, you know, looking to cut ties even though they're still hosting the thing in the house that Bill built. But <laughs> that's a different conversation. I mean, that's a whole, you know... The house that Bill It is. The whole thing. The whole thing is, <laughs> sure, is Bill's, sure. you know? Yeah, of course. So we'd like to, like, we'd like to distance ourselves from him, but we're going to continue doing all the stuff that he was doing. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, of course. Well, the thing, there are, there are a lot of integrity issues that I think the church has to wrestle with here sure. because there are a lot of, there are a lot of missteps along the way, especially for Willow Creek where the board, everyone assumed the best of Bill. So these investigations were completely biased. 
And so finally on the back end, they're having to go back and say, you know what? For a year, we've been wrong because we were assuming the best. We thought we had this story, but we didn't. Yeah. You know, and so it comes back to loyalty, Jeremy. I mean, that you were talking about earlier for them as a church, they were loyal to this one guy and his loyalty to his brand above his loyalty to integrity is at the end of the day, what sunk the ship. And unfortunately, when you group all people under this title of evangelical, we get, that's where I think church sometimes gets a bad rap is, and, and that's why I think superstar pastor can be a scary thing. Cause all you got to do is one thing. And, and I'm not saying Bill Hybels only did one thing, but I think that, 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 that's why I worry about people like um, Tim Tebow. Like it was hard for me to like Tim Tebow because he was a Florida Gator and beat Alabama several <laughs> years in a row. But I think really he's a genuine guy. But I worry about for him sometimes. I mean, he doesn't need me to, but I do that that if something were to ever come out, kind of like the urban thing, like it's gonna literally shatter a story of a guy who is awesome. And I, I don't I'm not saying he will, you know, but I think when we create superstar pastors or superstar athletes or superstar coaches or superstar anybody um it 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 sets them up but it also unfortunately sets the church up to look foolish and to look like you you're preaching one thing but behind closed doors you're living something that's totally different yeah no i'm i'm with you and i don't i don't uh, i don't think bill hybels is in the right at all i think that this these stories should have come out a long time ago sure which brings me really to a point that I want to bring out. Why now? And why the New York Times? Sure. I think, I think one of my issues with the story, I, I'm fine with this story. I think it's decent journalism. Read the story. Go to New York Times. Google search New York Times, Bill Hybels, and you'll find this story. Read the story. I think it's pretty good journalism. And it's not really, really critical of evangelical Christianity. I think it's pretty balanced. Good. But the thing about the story that just is driving me crazy is the timing of it and the fact that it's put out by the New York Times, not the Chicago Tribune, not the local paper, but it seems like something that has been very, very profitable for this woman. And as you read the story, you kind of ask yourself the question, if you're reading it critically, oh, so you moved in with his family. Yeah. Oh, his family was away and you went out to dinner with him. Oh, you were in this situation in the house by yourself. I think, I think if we're going to have a question, if we're going to have a conversation about Christian integrity that is equal, that is balanced, that is men and women, there has to be a point at which we say, okay, ma'am, you're responsible in some of this. You're, you're just, you have a responsibility. You have an amount of responsibility. Yeah, Bill Hybels did not have integrity and did not did not treat this woman the way that God would want her to be treated. Sure. This would, there's nothing Christian about this story. Sure. I'm not condoning his behavior at all. Sure. But, but the problem to me is that we're, we're talking about this story as kind of a, um, as an example of Christians telling the truth. Sure. When I don't know that this is so much truth telling as much as, m- as much as somebody making money on a story, on a piece of truth that is long overdue to be told. And I think that's probably, to me, to me, there's a, to me, there's a selling out going on here that I don't know how to put my finger on. And I don't even know that I'm saying it well here, 
But there's there's something going on here that is not true that feel that feels not true, sure, or feels in not genuine to me. I think though, just to push back on you just a little bit, do it. I think that once again, as we talked about earlier, I, I'm not sure at the time that it was it was appropriate or deemed okay in society for her to come out and tell her story. And unfortunately, when there's people in power, I think there is this understanding of I have to respect them because nobody's going to believe me. I mean, it's Bill Hybels for crying out loud, who's written a million and one books no, and, yeah, and grown right. the biggest church. And so why would anybody believe me if I were to come out and say this about him? And obviously, I think we're learning that the board tried to sweep it under the rug, tried to say this isn't a big deal. And so I think we've even seen in the journalism and the stories that are coming out is is even the mega thing that Bill built, the house that Bill built, supported him because he was because probably their job depended on whether Bill Hybels was still in 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 charge or not. Yeah. And 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 sometimes I think that we to do the right thing or to do the truthful thing may mean that people look at you and scour at you. To do the truthful thing and the right thing, people may look at you and criticize you. To do the right thing, it could mean your job even potentially. Um, but are we willing? Is our loyalty to truth and who Jesus is calling us to be, or is our loyalty to? And listen, I get it. Like you got to have food, right? And you got to get you have children. And so I'm not saying that it's an easy decision whatsoever. But I think once again, it goes to where does that loyalty lie? And and is it? And and, and even if, um, I mean, once again, Jesus, like if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. Like you have to die, and you have to take up your cross and and. You know, I, I wasn't around during Roman times, but I can't imagine that was a pleasant experience. And I think that that um, so I think there is this this notion of is she wanting to make a dime potentially? But I, I think once again, and I'm not saying that she well, did everything right. I, yeah, I, no, I don't know that she's doing points. it all right. I think that, but I think yes. we have to say in the 80s, yeah, who's going to believe her? Unfortunately, who who's going to look at her and say? And again, I said that the article is balanced. It does bring up there was a moment that she talks about confronting him. And apparently the confronting of Bill is what led to her losing her job. Oh. So um there there is definitely that piece. I wanna I wanna I wanna take this personally, this conversation personally. Yeah, sure. So something is very different now than it was in the eighties, which has kind of led us to the Me Too movement. It used to be the people everyone posting online and everyone telling a news story was certified. They were part of the Associated Press. Yeah. Well now all of us are journalists. Yeah. All of us have media outlets. Yeah. Social media, Facebook, Twitter. All of us are putting out stories all the time. And the fact of the matter is, we are all lying. We are all telling incomplete stories. Yeah. Every time I post something, I don't have enough room on Facebook or Twitter or whatever that or Instagram where you just get a picture. To tell you the whole story, you get a very small picture of it. And I know that may that may be kind of offensive to, to hear that we're all lying when we're when we're posting. Sure, but but really, none of us have the ability to tell the complete story of any situation in a post online. Well, how many times? And I always laugh. Probably, probably not my my best moments. But when somebody comes and says, "Oh, this and this about president or whatever," and I'm like, "Oh, really? Where'd you read that?" 
I write it on Facebook. I'm like, what does that mean? Uh, like, I, I can, I can put anything I want to on Facebook. And I think it goes to this whole. Um, we we're talking a little bit when we we're having lunch about perception and reality, and and how do we um, understand that once again that that there's this old saying that perception is reality, which I think um, can be true on some level, but it doesn't mean that your reality is the truth. And, and I could perceive something about someone and, and it'd be based on a whole stack of lies. And rather than, I mean, it's like the whole game of telephone. Like you tell me something and I tell somebody else something. And then by the time, by the time you yeah. get to the end, it's a totally different story. But if I, if I do and, and listen and say, well, that's what this person told me. So therefore I think it's true really has no bearing on the fact whether it's true or not. So th- Facebook just, uh, I think it was just last week or it was the, um, the 1st of August, they came out with this story where they um, were sad to tell everyone that there was a disinformation operation using their platform. And they wanted everyone to know that they were looking into it, they were investigating, so that people could again trust Facebook as like a worthy source of news. Sure. And this is the point, and, and people, were, people were commenting and having lots of conversation about this, and for me, our, our society is not in trouble because there's a disinformation op- operation on Facebook. We're in trouble because we legitimately think that Facebook has ever been a source of legitimate news information. Sure, sure. And, and it's kind of an interesting marketing scheme by Mark Zuckerberg to say, hey, guys, hey, this disinformation operation, it was going on, but we're going to get it under control. And you got it's like wait a second, Facebook is never going to be a legitimate source for full unbiased stories ever. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I think that, that once again, it, it's where do we understand and, and, and perception I think is such a big deal because I can live in a world and in a story where I view things a certain way. I think this goes back even to um, bigger media than than social media, like um, CNN and Fox News, and 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 if I just listen to all the people who say the things that I want to hear, I can start to believe that that's actual reality. When understanding that there may be probably underneath layers and layers and layers of that story is where the actual truth may lie, and so I I start to build my own ideology and my own understanding, and I listen to people that 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 agree with me all the time rather than people who disagree. And my perception becomes my reality, thinking that that is exactly the way things are, yeah. when in truth, they aren't. And, and so um, I think that, that, once again, I think that, that we have to be careful as we digest and as we uh, consume certain types, all types of media, not just certain, all types, to say, this is what I'm hearing, and do I like this because it, it makes me feel the warm fuzzies and I, I like what they're saying, or is this really the truth about said situation and, uh, and and trying to understand once again, not just I like what I hear, but is it real? Are they really telling me what's happening in this situation? So Jesus was having a conversation with some Jews who were having questioning him about their Jewish identity, and it's in that com- it's in that context that he says the famous line, "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." I think so. So for us, twenty first century evangelical Christians. What is the truth for us? Yeah, I think Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
seems seems pretty simple. I mean, I know it's complicated, but it seems like we are like, all right, sweet. Jesus said that, and we put it on a plaque, and we hang it on our wall, but we live like everything else is a better truth. I, I saw this uh, interview the other day and just blew my mind, blew my mind. And it was uh, a bunch of people who had voted a certain way in the election, and and they're thinking, okay, now how do you still like your vote? And this one dude, I, I can't even believe this, this one guy said, and, and I'm not saying anything about the political situation that I'm about to talk about, more about what this guy said, okay, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. He said, if Jesus Christ himself came off the cross and told me that Trump colluded with Russia, I would have to look at him and say, I need to talk to my president first to find out if what you're telling me is true or not. I was like, oh my gosh. I think I think it's safe to assume where that man's loyalties lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. I'm not saying Trump collude. I'm not saying anything about the political yeah, situation. No, no. I'm saying about the the remark of Jesus himself could tell me this. And I don't know that I would still believe it to be true. I would have to talk to somebody else to see if what Jesus said was actually true. And I think that's where we are on some level, that our loyalties lie with other things other than Jesus. Um, to kind of circle back around and uh, to hit on the whole let your yes be yes and your no be no, that comes part of that. The beginning part of that passage is um, don't swear by the temple or don't swear by the gold of the temple or don't swear by the earth because it's the Lord's footstool and don't swear by the holy city. And so Jesus goes through all these things that we shouldn't swear by. But and, and, and in that day, they had this understanding that if you swore by the city Jerusalem, it wasn't as serious as swearing by the gold in the temple. And so they had different levels yeah, 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 yeah. of That's swearing right. about right. how I would understand how truthful you're actually being with yeah. me. And what Jesus was saying, that as people who are good news to the world, and, and, and we live our lives in such a way so that when we talk, we don't have to swear by the temple or swear by the earth or swear by heaven or swear by the hair on our head. We just speak and because of the way our life is lived, people would look at you and say, I believe that to be true because I see the truth living in you. And so Jesus was saying, um, we don't bear false witness. We don't lie. We are a truthful people to the best of our ability. And we live our lives in such a way that we are representing and we are being salt and light. We are representing the kingdom of God so that when somebody asks me a question, and I give a response, they don't have to wonder whether I'm telling the truth or not. They know that by how I live, by who I am, and the fact that I'm really trying to bring about the good news, the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, that my response is good enough in and of itself, and that we don't need the system. The good news is a group of people who, who live and respond like Jesus would, and so that when people see us, they see hopefully integrity, they see um, me being for the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the, the orphan and, and those who are on the underside who are being um, spoken down to or, or, or being oppressed. Taking advantage of. Taking advantage of. And my truthfulness and my response to all of those things is I just speak because my life is matching up with who I am trying and professing to be with my mouth. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. It is produced by Isaac Smith.